Welcome, everybody, to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 97. We're recording this on 21st of May 2014. Uh, I'm Steve Litchfield, and with me, the main man who kind of owns AAWP, is Mr. Rafe Lanford. Hello, everybody. Yes, uh, and time for another podcast. Number 97 almost got to the big 100, Steve, and a big thank you this week to Steve, because he's actually put together all the show notes written lots of the content uh, this week. But I'm going to be putting in an opinion as well. We've got quite a few topics to get through, quite a bit of variety as well. And there's been, I guess, some big news items coming out this week, particularly for the dedicated Windows Phone follower. <laughs> uh, let's start with the Lumia 630. Um, Microsoft has announced the uh, details of the UK price availability, which we're particularly interested in being in the UK. And rather amazingly, I think, I saw the price and I thought, I don't quite believe that. The price is eighty nine ninety five, so just under £90. Um, now, it's not clear from Microsoft's press release, Rafe, whether this is all in, or, and they quoted four or five of the UK retailers. Does, does that mean that you walk in and they say, which network would you like it on, sir? And then it gets locked. I'm, I'm guessing, my gut feel is that this is an, an unlocked price, £90 all in, and if you buy it through a shop, you might have to take out, you know, a pay-as-you-go SIM card, but the phone itself will be unlocked, which I think is actually astonishing value. It is an amazing value, and I can actually shed a bit of light onto this because I asked about it at the launch. And actually, this launch price is roughly in line with what got announced as kind of the SIM-free before tax and subsidy, the usual thing that gets announced at the launch. And if you look at the price, because it's actually become available in a couple of markets, India, for example, and some other Asian markets, and it's now kind of launching into Europe, this is still a bit of a, a special price for the UK, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of the high street price with a pay-as-you-go contract, and it may be that it requires a £10 top-up. It's a bit like if you go and buy the Lumia 520 at the moment, you can get it for an astonishing value, you know, £50 in some places. It's more usually sort of 60 or 70 uh, at the moment, and you tend to have to buy a £10 top-up. But I actually think this one might be kind of, Sort of sim-free in the sense that a lot of the retailers won't be locking their handsets. So if you go to somewhere like Carphone Warehouse, for example, it's actually pretty unusual for them to now lock handsets they buy direct from the manufacturer. And they still get kind of a subsidy or kind of a, an extra bit of money for selling onto a certain operator, but they don't bother locking it. If you buy it from an operator, the chances are that it will be locked, but that, again, does vary. There's no hard and fast rules there. But really, amazing value. And when I first saw this device... I was at the kind of the UK launch of this handset. And I really don't understand how they managed to get to this handset for this price. And actually, I thought about it a bit. And the reason it's that price is it is relatively old in, t in specification terms. It's kind of a generation or two back, depending on how you want to look at things. It's not that much of an update, really, from you know the kind of current generation of Windows phone devices. And obviously, it's really a next-generation device in terms of the timing of release. So this is kind of like a, it's a halfway house, really, between a Lumia 520 and something like the 920, which, of course, was the low and high spec. You know, they have changed its running, you know, the Snapdragon uh, 400 processor, and you know, the screen resolution is relatively low. But even taking all that into account, I still think it's outstanding value for a Windows Phone handset. And, you know, obviously, there's been some changes to get there. There are some... <laughs> the usual specification cuts. I think the one that most people will notice immediately is there are no on-screen uh, buttons. Sorry, there are on-screen buttons rather than physical <laughs> keys. Get that the right yeah. way round. Yeah. You actually, it's referred to as the navigation bar and you can change the color of that in the settings. Um, it does take a bit of getting used to. We've had that thing happen on Android as well. It's quite common on budget handsets. Can't say I'm the, 
the biggest fan of that personally, but I suspect if you start using the device day in and day out, it becomes familiar enough. Uh, also, in terms of sensors, there's a few things missing, and you know, things like the RAM and the internal memory, are, you know, are on the low side. But what do you expect for this kind of handset? And so, you know, I, I think it's attractively pitched, especially when the design's pretty good as well. And Windows Phone, I think, in that low cost space, makes a lot of sense. And you, you know, part of me goes, well, ninety pounds a great price, but that's at launch, so one can only assume that over time that will come down, and it will, uh, you know, in time go cheaper even than the Lumia Five Twenty got to. Yeah, yeah, just a couple of things right there from what you said. But now the virtual on-screen controls on Android devices, which have the same system, when you actually turn the device into landscape and you know watch, watch a media media like YouTube or a local local video or streaming video, those virtual controls get out of the way to give you the maximum screen real estate. Is it the same with Windows Phone? It is the same on Windows Phone. So you won't actually uh, those controls don't stick there, and actually there's various applications where they'll be hidden. Uh, when it goes into what's referred to as full screen mode. So certain yeah. games, basically, if you're a developer, you can set in the sort of P list, which is kind of like the profile of an app that there's a, basically a setting that says, yeah, go into full screen mode and the, uh, keys will actually only reappear if you press, I, now I have to get this right. I think it's you double tap the search button or you double tap the back button. It's one of those two. And so, a lot of the time you'll kind of get this in full screen mode. You know, video is another one of those cases where it's automatically applied. And so there is quite sensible use of those on-screen buttons, which makes sense. I mean, the other thing you can do is, as I said, you can customise the colour, but you can set it to the accent colour, but you can also set it to kind of be see-through so it will match the colour that's currently on the screen. That's it. a bit hit and miss I found when trying to out for the first time. It may have been improved, of course, by now, because I saw it on a kind of early build of the software and prototype. Uh, so they've, they've certainly got that right. And, uh, you know, I think people that, who've tried this on Android will find that that you know, implementation is actually quite critical to how good it is in the earlier builds of Android. It could be a bit problematic. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to getting my hands on one and trying it out for real because I've only really had half an hour with it. Um, so we'll have to see how well that implementation works in practice. Yeah. The other thing that uh, you didn't comment on, but I... I, I found a, a, quote, puzzling omission in my story here, was the fact that like the Moto E in the Android world, which is launched uh, this, this, this week at a very similar price, um, they both lack a front-facing camera. I thought we were in the age, Rafe, of selfies and you know, it's 2014 and, and, and video, you know, Skype, Skype calling, well, FaceTime on the Apple platform. But surely the front-facing camera is one of the essentials in a modern smartphone. I can't believe that for the sake of a, you know, a dollar or so on the bill of material, both Motorola and here, Microsoft stroke Nokia, I've just forgotten that. Yeah, I, I was surprised by this too. I mean, I can remember talking a few months ago to some retail staff who worked in phone shops and them saying actually that was one of the reasons that certain Nokia handsets hadn't done so well because they had people coming and they wanted to be able to use Skype with it. Um, of course, it also applies, applies for selfies. The thing is, when you're, you know, you say it's only a dollar or so, well, that's true, but when you've got a handset that costs, you know, £90, £1 actually starts to become significant. Yes, it's only 1% or 1% or 2%, depending on the exact price level, but it's not just, you know, putting in that component. It may add a bit of extra complexity. You know, it's also, I guess, about the differentiation of devices. You know, you have to have some reason why this one, you know, costs less or costs the next one up costs more. It does feel like the wrong omission to me, simply because, as you say, you know, selfies are becoming a big thing, but also video calling. 
you know, we've got Skype, things like WhatsApp and some of the other messaging apps are going to be introducing video calling over the next, you know, year, couple of years. I think that's going to become a bigger trend. You know, video calling never really took off over the cellular network, but I think over the IP network, i.e. over the internet, it kind of makes more sense and we might see it happen a bit more. So I think any cheap smartphone leaving off the front-facing camera, while I can understand it from trying to save a few dollars, is that one of those false economies? Of course, other people will find some other element that they'd you know, like to have in there. I mean, NFC might be an example of that. But certainly front-facing camera feels like one of those things that's you know, a bit more populous and less explicable to leave out. Yeah, yeah. 30-second opinion, Rafe. Motorway or Lumia 630 and pretend you're not biased here? Ooh, it's tricky because I actually saw the Motorola E in person uh, about a week ago, and it's a very nice handset. However, the design, I would say, is slightly more reminiscent of the Lumia 710, uh, whereas the 630 just feels a bit more up-to-date. You know, Nokia been experimenting with that plastics and the different colours a little bit longer, so it just feels a little bit more on-trend. However, the Motorola does have a lot going for it. You know, it's slightly bigger screen resolution. And in some areas, you could probably argue the components are better, particularly around the processor and some things like that. And of course, I think it'll actually come down to whether you want Android or Windows Phone. I think personally, at this low cost sector, you know, the sort of people who are going to be looking to buy this phone aren't, you know, the geeks who are listening to a podcast like this or who debate the best phone until the end of the world. I think Windows Phone is still a better option for the first-time smartphone user. And so uh, I'll pick the Lumia 630 because I think it's better experience for the first-time user. I think the design's slightly superior. But I would say the Motorola E, if you're looking for maximum value in terms of specifications, and maybe if you're a big app user, that would probably be the one to go for. Well, that was more than 30 seconds, but I'll let you off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Uh, just moving on. Um, this is the story that uh, we just mentioned it briefly. It happened about um, just over a week ago. Twitter, the, the official Twitter client for Windows Phone, started behaving very peculiarly and started crashing. Now, the symptoms, right, were that uh, you'd go into, you'd tap on a tweet, uh, just the detail of a tweet to bring it up full screen, and the entire app would crash back to the application list. Very, very odd. I thought, well, there's something clearly not right here. And the two options, possibilities were one there was a problem with the client that somehow become out of step with the back end at twitter uh, on twitter servers or b there was actually a problem with twitter servers and probably both because obviously applications whatever's happening on the server the app should never crash um, as it turned out um, people on other platforms started noticing something wrong it turns out there was something wrong at twitter's end and they were this went on for about six or seven hours eventually they fixed it and the twitter client started working again but it doesn't it leaves me with a suspicion, Rafe, that there's something perhaps still not quite right about the Twitter client for Windows Phone. It app should never crash, whatever the server's doing. And indeed, there's some rather wags in our comments. I, I mentioned uh, in the headline, Twitter client broken. And someone said, the, the official client has always been broken and useless, <laughs> which is not terribly helpful, but rather telling that maybe it's in dire need of an update. Well, as you said, this was actually a problem on kind of Twitter's end. Uh, I suspect when you've got these kind of apps are attached to back-end services. If something goes wrong with the back-end service and the app's not well-written to kind of recover from any serious error, you are going to get these crashes. And I think it's probably fair to say that Twitter has put far fewer resources into its Windows Phone app than it has for iOS and Android. I mean, that's to be expected given the relative popularity and installed bases of the two platforms. But it's just probably a useful reminder for all of those services that you, know, you should build in sort of error awareness or 
you know, if the app does crash or something goes wrong, ideally you should provide some kind of error message or fail back to the previous screen. It, it, it's easy to say that, of course, and anticipating any possible problem is always going to be a bit tricky. And I think on Windows Phone, this you know, generated a bit more hoo-ha because, honestly, the Windows Phone app is further behind its Android and iOS counterparts. It hasn't got all of those features. It hasn't been updated with quite the same love and attention. And this is a problem I think Windows Phone has more generally. You know, we always used to talk about availability of the sort of top 100 apps. And that's a problem that's largely gone away now. There are exceptions to that, but then you can probably find those on any platforms. But there is still perhaps an issue around how quickly the updates happen. And you could look at something like Instagram as well for this. You know, it's still got its beta tag on Windows Phone. It hasn't had, you know, some of the features, you know, video being a good example. And, you know, Instagram has since added more features to the Android and iOS version that hasn't come into Windows Phone. It's been a while since there's been an update. And you can think of other apps like this. I mean, Facebook was always a good example of this. That's recently because Microsoft has been pushing the development. They got a lot better. But even there, I think people would sometimes wonder about the quality of the, the Facebook app. And even something like uh, you know Foursquare with the, the way it split its app in, in two and coming later on Windows Phone. And quite often you'll see an app release that's happening later on Windows Phone. So uh, I thought actually this Twitter thing, although... It, it lasted a short enough time that I didn't even notice myself is perhaps, you know, a good example of a symptomatic of a bigger problem that Windows Phone has. And it, it comes back again to the chicken and egg problem we've talked about so much that until, you know, Windows Phone gets a little bit more popular, until there's more devices and users out there, it's going to be treated as kind of the stepchild of the other platforms. You, know, you can't talk about any one particular level because it varies between markets and it varies you know, between the, which segment of the market you look at and which segment an app is addressing. But certainly one that I don't think there's any easy solution to. Um, and you know, I, I think in that sense, the app debate and the app gap debate has probably moved a little bit as to where it was a year ago. But Windows Phone is still very much at, much at a disadvantage. Yeah. The one thing I will say about the Windows Phone Twitter client is that it does run optionally in the dark mode, which is something I've yet to be able to find in the iOS and Android clients. And one one area in which the Windows Phone client, for me personally, with the love of AMOLED screens, is certainly a, a step in front, but let's not go there. Um, I did a feature a few days ago, Rafe, I don't know whether you saw this, um, the ultimate battery saving guide. We had an awful lot of people complaining about uh, battery life on Windows Phone, partly because the developer preview um, was a tiny bit battery hungry. We'll come to that in a moment because there has been an update. But just running through the list of uh, my list of tips, Rafe, uh, any particular ones jump out at you? Perhaps you could pick a favourite before I pick a favourite. That's always a tricky one. Uh, I mean, my, my favourite one on something like that, I think you're, you know, the one where you get most saving, you're probably right, is to change things on the screen settings. And you actually mentioned a couple here uh, for glance screen and also for you know, brightness and things like that. But actually, I like glance so much. It's something I'm you know, willing to do. I, I, I'm willing to make that sacrifice on battery life. So I think the one that most people can benefit from is probably around the background apps usage. And yeah. this is... You know, go and have a look at what's in there. Decide whether you're really using it on a day by day basis. And, uh, it's, it, it's not even necessarily do I use it day by day. It's do I want it sort of running in the background? Are the sort of updates that happen in the background important to me? And for an awful lot of them, it's really not a big deal. Uh, in your screenshot, you've got the example of uh, a currency exchange app. And yes, sure. Having the latest breaks when you go into the app is, is good. 
But for me, it's not actually essential because I <laughs> use it infrequently enough that I'm quite happy for it to update in the background kind of when I'm using the app. I don't need that much accuracy. Uh, I also found this for a couple of news apps that I have installed on my phone. You know, they can update it for live tile and things like that. But since I don't have the live tile for them and I'm not that bothered about sort of having push notifications on live updates, not that these particular apps support them, it was fine for me to turn that off. Some things that I do want updating in the background, you know, Twitter and other social notification apps being a, a good example. And actually I have Bing News uh, ready for its live updates and actually have that as a live tile as well. And so if, if I was picking out my favourite one, I would definitely go for, for that. And also because I think if you change those, I don't have any uh, statistical evidence to back this up, but I think that actually probably has one of the biggest impacts on battery life short of actually changing those screen settings, which, you know, because it's such a you know, battery-hungry component of any smartphone, you can probably save most there. But there's no point turning your screen brightness down so that you end up having to squint at the screen and it becomes uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think just put, pull out two more of my favourites from... I know it's my own article, I shouldn't be pulling out favourites. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. But, um, the, the number one was actually... I, I kind of started with this as number one on purpose, is the fact that when you... you uh, reset a phone and rebuild it. It may sound like a bit of work, and it probably is. You have to enter a few more new passwords and set a few settings up as you'd, you'd rather, because the, the restore didn't work perfectly under Windows Phone 8.0, but it works a lot better under 8.1, let me assure people. So maybe save this for when you upgrade to upgrade to 8.1, either through, through the developer preview or through Lumia Cyan. But the, the very fact that you've, you've kind of cleared away the craft, you've cleared away the temporary files and the OS's cache of this and the configuration files right left and center, everything just gets that tiny bit smoother. And I would argue, actually, you're probably saving battery life as well because there are, there's less things getting in the way of the OS. Um, and my second highlight from, from that list is something that um, I'm a bit confused by. On the developer preview, certainly, of Windows Phone 8.1, I found that on my Lumia 1020, the battery saver function was turned off by default, which I thought was rather odd, obviously intending that you can just, it'll just carry on going right down to zero and turn off without any intervention. Now, turning battery saver on means that when it gets to, I think, 20%, um, the OS goes into the special low-power mode. You know, you, you, the, bright, I think the brightness goes down a bit as well. You certainly lose all, a lot of the auto syncs and the background task, and it really does make a big difference. So your battery um, capacity, reported capacity, goes spiralling down to 20% fairly fast during the day, and you might get to 5 or 6 p.m., but then the battery saver kicks in if this is turned on, um, and then you then get through with about only 1% or so battery drain per, per hour, and you can, admittedly, you haven't got everything coming in live, but you certainly get through to bedtime, and it's just it's slightly odd that I found that this was turned off by default, and maybe that will be turned on by default when the uh, Lumia sign and the other updates hit. Yeah, certainly in my experience, it's been turned on by default on new devices. I can't actually remember what happened when I upgraded to Windows Phone 8.1. I know I've certainly been having battery saver mode come on, so even if it, it wasn't, I've switched it on myself. And like you say, you know, it will come on automatically. There's actually a couple of other options there that are, are well worth exploring. I just want to pick up on one other tip that you mentioned, and that's actually um, changing the speed at which your device connects. And if you go into the SIM setting in the settings application, you can actually, and then go into the advanced settings, you can actually specify what the highest connection speed is. And you've suggested you drop down from uh, 4G or 3G, or theoretically you can go to 2G. I think that's probably being a bit of a, a glutton <laughs> for punishment. Because actually 3G speeds, a lot of the time, um, are perfectly sufficient. Um, and you may actually have a, a 3G-only contract, in which case your phone might be looking for 4G and not working. Actually, in that case, you'll probably find that 
there'll be times when it doesn't work at all and you probably already discovered this particular setting uh, particularly <laughs> if you're on certain networks uh, there is some caution needed with this because of course um, 4g by its nature isn't necessarily more battery intensive and it really depends on the whole topology of your local network and the areas that you're in most frequently uh, because obviously 4g can send data back and forth faster and therefore you're connected for less time and generally will use less battery um, and there's also some issues around latency and all that kind of thing but of course if you haven't got very many 4g masks around you and your phone is constantly sort of switching between the two or searching for 4g that can actually increase the the battery you know drain so the advice here would be uh, try it with both and see which one's better for your battery i suspect a lot of people won't notice a big difference but if you're having a peculiar drain for example, if your office or your house is just on the edge of a 4G selling and keep switching back and forth between the two, you might find you get some extra battery drain. So it's worth looking at that particular feature. In general, if you want some advice, don't switch it down because the networks, particularly in the Western European and the US markets, are quite well built. And this tends not to be an issue unless you're right at the cell on the edge of the cell. In other places where... 4G and 3G networks can be kind of less dense. And what I mean by that is there's less cell towers around. Uh, it, it can be a bit more of an issue. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm struggling to generalize this advice, but um, <laughs> for, you know, for those who are looking to get absolutely maximum out of their battery, it's a setting that's well worth checking. Um, and certainly I know I set a few devices down to 3G because one of the contracts I have um, doesn't have a 4G data attached to it. Um, I guess I should get it upgraded at some point, but haven't yet done so. And so I certainly don't want it going and looking for 4G because it won't be able to use it even if it does find it. Yeah. So the, the whole thing that was uh, kind of spurred the article is I was doing some benchmarks. and You'll see various charts and various stories on the site where I, I ran in several different smartphone OSs, including iPhone, iOS, and unusually for me. Um, I, I, and I looked at the idle drain, i.e. if you weren't actually using your phone, how fast would the operating system itself, you know, connected up, syncing data in the background, but with the screen off, how fast would the battery run down? And the charts are fairly revealing. Um, no, most notably that the original developer preview of Windows 8.1 was horribly battery hungry, and I think it was running over 5% per hour, which is, if you do the sums, um, that basically means there's not a lot, not a lot of capacity left uh, in terms of the battery for actually using the phone during the day. But happily, there, Microsoft put out an update about um, again a week ago, 22 megabyte update to anyone who signed up to the developer preview. Um, and this uh, basically, it, there's not much of a change log. But Joe Belfiore did tweet out this: this contains quote battery improvements. And I, I ran my benchmark again, did exactly the same test over a 24-hour period and found a massive improvement. And I would say that it's now around 2% per hour, which is a lot more palatable, and it's also fairly com comparable with Android, um, which I guess is, is the, the current benchmark, given that that's the most popular smartphone OS. I would hope it would be even better. I mean, iOS is massively efficient in this regard, certainly on my tests. I tested it on iPhone 4S and an iPhone 5, and if Windows Phone can get anywhere close to that, then I think uh, that Microsoft would be doing fairly well but in the meantime I'm very happy with the developer preview update Rafe. yeah I, i've certainly noticed the battery improvement in my uh, lumia 925 which i've updated to the, this kind of new release i haven't come across any really obvious uh, other fixes or new features but I, I imagine this is more low level stuff and if there is a fix that you know you've come across let us know about it because we'd be interested to hear that this battery one is always 
a bit tricky coming up with fair comparisons because, of course, you have got different battery technologies to some extent, the different ways that the platforms report them. Um, iOS somewhat notorious at times for sort of having a, a battery that falls off a cliff at certain times. Uh-huh. Um, whether that's true or not, I think it probably depends on your point of view. I mean, I tend to find there's not a, a great deal of difference between all the different devices by the time you've taken into account you know, battery life uh, or battery capacity and what you're actually doing and what you choose to do on each device has a far bigger impact on kind of how long your battery lasts and you know, then trying to make sure you do exactly the same thing on each device when you're you're doing these tests. I think your data is you know, probably about right and I actually think you've maybe been a bit harsh on Windows Phone um, based off my own experience, but I haven't sort of sat there and run the numbers and put them all into a spreadsheet as you clearly did for this test. But it's noticeable that dramatic improvement between the two developer preview releases on Windows Phone 8.1, and I'm pretty sure we'll see some you know further improvement before you know, things go along. The other yeah. thing, of course, to mention with this is that um, the battery characteristics actually change over the lifetime of a device, depending on how many recharge cycles it's gone through and things like that. And so just to emphasize how difficult it is to do a, a fair comparison, I think what's most interesting here for me is actually the improvement from kind of, uh, well, the downgrade, Windows 8 to 8.1, the first preview edition, and then the improvement with uh, kind of the second release of the developer preview get to the point where you sort of go it's good enough and i imagine there will be a few more tweaks in the final release uh, it'll be interesting actually to try out and see what battery life is like on something like lumia 630 which is going to be the first kind of true windows phone 8.1 device from the get-go yeah and uh, if you look at the um, the articles on the site we'll put the links in the show notes um, I, you mentioned a couple of caveats there just to emphasize i came up with six really meaty caveats not 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 weasel words for myself to get out of standing <laughs> by the article just I say to point out the sheer difficulty and the sheer number of variables. And for example, just to pick out one obvious one that the Android device I was using, comparing with, was the 3100 milliamp hour battery Galaxy Note 2. Now, a lot of Android devices have a lot smaller batteries. Then again, this, this, this phone it was about a year and a half old, and the battery was a year and a half old. There's so many variables. You could do 100 tests, come up with 100 different results. But this was kind of just a... Uh, a finger in the sand, finger in the air, litmus paper. Let's try and just get a sense for where we are in terms of battery life. And I would argue that Windows Phone 8.1 developer, you know, update one, however you want to call it, I would argue that is up roughly with Android. And as you say, hopefully it will only get better. So let's stay optimistic. Um, one final thing, Ray, before we finish. Um, Windows Phone video editors, you wait three years for one and then three come along <laughs> once. Uh, classic bus syndrome. Uh, this is all due to the Windows Phone 8.1 APIs that uh, that Microsoft has added for this platform update. All of a sudden, <laughs> programmers have now got access to shock horror, the file system, or a file system at least, maybe slightly sandboxed. And of course, there's Nokia's imaging SDK with, with lots of uh, you know built-in video and still image effects. So add the two together, and what have you got? You've got a bunch of video editors, and I've reviewed Movie Maker 8.1, which that went up on the site on the day we recorded this, and my, my review, and pretty darn optimistic. It, it, it does almost everything you'd want a basic phone-based video editor to do. Um, there are a few bugs and stability issues, but the developer, the, the, all three packages we've been looking at, and we'll put other links in the show notes, um, they're all coming on at a staggering rate, considering that the developer preview has only been out for a month or so. I think give it another uh, couple of months, Rafe, and it'll be all ready for another of my um, famous uh, app roundups. So just goodness knows how many video editors we'll have by then. 
I, I look forward to seeing it. I trust you'll be uh, testing with some cat video or some hamster video or something equally suitable. But you're right. The reason we've got this is, of course, the APIs became available. And actually, there's some video editing APIs built into Windows Phone 8.1. You mentioned also the file manager or the file access APIs. For that same reason, we're actually seeing quite a few file managing applications appear for Windows Phone, most of which are frankly a little bit pointless, um, although perhaps more useful if you don't ever connect your phone to uh, a PC where you can kind of do the, the drag and drop. So, you know, if you download something from the internet, something that Internet Explorer 11 in Windows Phone 8.1 has better support for, that file manager then you know, may become more useful. And actually, there's a couple of third-party ones. And Joe Belfiore in a kind of uh, Reddit Ask Me Anything did indicate that there's looks like there's going to be a Microsoft file manager coming along uh, before too long. We've mentioned some of these APIs before and said, you know, that there will be waves of application coming. And that, th this is kind of the first and best example of this. I'm really looking forward to things happening with some of the Bluetooth low energy accessories because uh, those APIs are also in there. So for things like Fitbit and the Pebble smartwatch, there's potential to do things there as well. And so this uh, London bus syndrome that you talk about, Steve, I suspect we're going to see uh, a little bit more of it happen. And good thing too is all I can say to this. Um, I, I tried out Movie Maker open one briefly you know i was impressed and yes it's a far cry from kind of the days of windows phone 8 where the best thing we had was the kind of the nokia video channel which meant you could top and tail a video and then use a separate app to upload it i'm sure there's going to be more innovation in this space and you know actually i'm quite keen to see what kind of specialist apps can appear as a result of this not just kind of the video editing it, it strikes me that you know windows phone has had a problem because some of these APIs haven't really been mature. And now the things are coming in, you can do more with them. You'll also see this in uh, other, you know, social apps that allow, you know, to share photos, you know, Instagram being one of them. Um, the video support is better generally in Windows Phone 8.1. And so I suspect we'll see video and video uploading being better integrated into those apps as well. So that's going to be something to look forward to. Um, it's worth pointing out on this on this podcast, we've almost exclusively talked about Windows Phone 8.1 things. And so for people who haven't updated, I'm sorry if this hasn't been entirely relevant for you, but hopefully <laughs> we've been able to give you a, a preview of what's to come because we're now getting into to late May. And in theory, the updates for the existing devices, I would have thought will start arriving in about a month's time. And um, in some cases, it may be before that. But uh, I want to be cautious here and say to so the late June for the first arrivals, which does mean it will be July until a lot of people with existing devices get it. And maybe, of course, beyond that, the usual pattern where those updates have to be cleared by operators and various other obstacles to overcome. But uh, hopefully we sufficiently whetted your appetite so that you are really keen to get your hands on the update and are probably now frustrated you can't use it straight away. Yeah, and of course, uh, anybody can just uh, use our links to the uh, original developer preview update and follow our very simple instructions, and you can completely for free be, have the developer preview um, update one on your own device within about, uh, well, I'd say I'd say five minutes, but it's five minutes of your time and 55 minutes while Windows Phone spins its cogs and updates its, its, its progress bars, but uh, you will get there. And, of course, you're then still perfectly eligible for the official updates when they come. Ray, it sounds like Rafe's getting a bit croaky there, so we're going to call the podcast to a halt. Just one quick update on, I did promise a 
camera head-to-head between the Lumia 1020 and the Xperia Z2. Uh, the Z2, I had a play with one, but the, the official PR review one doesn't arrive till tomorrow. Now it got rather delayed, so that we'll have to wait for next week's podcast. But I will put the article up on the site before then, and we'll uh, see how the, uh, the Sony's implementation of oversampling and pure view zoom, uh, the latest iteration of that, copes. In the meantime, I think I'd better say goodbye. And uh, you've got enough voice left to say goodbye, Ray? I think I can manage to say goodbye, and I look forward to seeing the Z2 comparison because I've heard quite a few people say it's their favourite Android device and say good things about the camera. So we'll see how it measures up against uh, Windows Phone's best offering, which I'm guessing is going to be the 1020 again, and Steve might even manage to sneak in an 808 as well for uh, the Symbian fans out there. I'll probably get my wrist slapped if I do, but then again, I'll get to my, I'll get um, crowds outside my door chanting 808 if I don't. So it's, I, I'm really caught between two stools there. Anyway, we're going to say goodbye. You'll catch us next week on the All About Windows Phone podcast. We'll keep it the, a smart half an hour and hope to keep it regular. Bye for now.